Well, if you have your Bibles today, uh, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 18 and James chapter 3. Proverbs 18, James 3. And uh, we're going to be finishing up a series called Words Matter. Anybody been growing a little bit in the area of words? Well, if you're not growing, uh, may, anybody been challenged in the area of words? <laughs> All right. I've been challenged. And uh, if you haven't been, uh, been here for each week, please, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Go to calvary.online. All of these messages are there. God wants us to grow in this area of saying what he's saying so his works are released in our day. It's really important. So go and listen to those sermons. It's incredible uh, what, what the Lord is speaking to us about words. Proverbs chapter 18, we've read it every single week. Uh, and we're going to read it again here today. It says this, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice it does not say a man is satisfied by how much is in his bank account. A man is satisfied by the car he drives. The man is satisfied by all the successes that he may have in this world. No, it says this, a man will be satisfied by the words that he speaks. I know that is contrary to our experience, but when we have an experience that is contrary to God's word, God's word doesn't change. We need to change. And so when we look at this and we see dissatisfaction in our, in our life and we've been attaching it to some of those things and some of those desires, what we need to do is go back to God's word and say, Lord, how do I get into the place of satisfaction? Here's how you, you get back in the secret place, get on your knees and say, Father, what are you saying? And those are the words that I want to say. What, are you, what have you already said in your word? And when you begin to say what God is saying, then satisfaction will come to your soul. Then you'll be filled and then you'll know what it is to wield words that release life. It changes everything. Now, I want to read to you uh, a passage today. It's several verses from James chapter 3. And they, they, it's a lot of instruction about words. But I know a, a lot of us, we love to read the Bible, but it, uh, at quick glance, this chapter could be rather confusing just to the everyday kind of reader of God's word. Because on one hand, we've been hearing how God wants to use our words. And then we've got this chapter which says a lot of things about the tongue. Today I want to speak to you a message called Taming the Tongue. Taming the Tongue. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, 
they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig, my brethren, bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, here, um, this passage has a lot to say about the tongue and words. Matter of fact, the scripture has a lot to say about our tongue and words. Well, why does, why does uh, God's, God's word have a lot to say about our words? Here's why. Over the course of an average lifetime, a human being will speak 860,300,000 words on average. 860,300,000 words. Let me give you an idea about how many words that is. That is taking this entire Bible and reciting it 1,110 times. The word has a lot to say about words because you and I use a lot of words. Some more than others. <laughs> now, you know who the people who are our talkers, you know. You recognize them. They walk in the room. You're like, oh, no, they're coming. <laughs> they're going to talk to me. I know it. They're going to talk to me. You know, and you may be that person who uses a few less words, but on average, we use 860 million words in our lifetime. And I want you to know this. Our words matter. Here's how much. The scripture says we're going to be judged by every idle word. So we need to grow in this area of words. So here in God's words, uh, there, there's a, a couple of thoughts that I just want to just share from the beginning. And if I were to summarize maybe the beginning of this and the overarching thought in this passage, it is this. Our maturity in Christ is measured by our words. Our words declare our maturity in Christ. Verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. That word perfect means mature. I could see all of you thinking right now, you're taking a personal inventory about... How mature am I? Like, if that's the measuring rod, I'm still in diapers. I'm not doing too well. But the scripture makes that comparison. It says, someone who is mature in Christ actually is using his words for Christ. 
If he's able to bridle that tongue, he's a perfect, he's a mature believer. And, and in case you didn't know, God wants you to mature. God wants you to grow up. God doesn't want you sitting in church for 30 years and you're still in your diapers. He wants you growing. And you say, how do I know I'm growing? Will your words start changing? Why? Because what's in your heart started changing and it started coming out of your mouth. You say, I thought, thought church was just really only about what I believe. Yeah, it starts with belief, but it doesn't end with belief. Because we find out the power of words from this passage. Now, there's a lot of things that people try to, you know, say about, you know, maturity in Christ. But if we're using our words, notice in light of 1 Corinthians 13, 11, this is what Paul said. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Can you and I just agree that there are some things that we just need to put out of our vocabulary, out of our regular conversation? There are some things that fly out of our mouth that just should not be coming out. Why? Because they don't reflect maturity in Christ. They doesn't say that we're growing. We're saying, hey, I need to get those things out of my life. Why? Because I don't want to stay a child in my faith. I want to grow in my faith. Now, here's some wrong beliefs about the tongue from this passage, okay? Because you just read this passage on quick glance, you might come up with some of these conclusions and, and, be, and be kind of thinking about this passage in the wrong way. First, uh, the tongue will always be used by hell. Because here it says, it's set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell. So, I mean, if the tongue is set on by fire by hell, what in the, why, why, am I, why am I trying to use it? Or second, how about this? It's useless to try to tame the tongue. After all, the scripture says, it's untamable. Matter of fact, if you were on Bible Gateway right now, there would be a big headline over James chapter 3, and the big headline is, The Untamable Tongue. As if that is the primary message of James chapter 3, and it is not. That's not the message of James 3. It's actually the contrary message of James 3. Another thing that you would, you would think, well, the, it, the scripture here says the, the tongue is full of poison, so I'm just going to keep quiet. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Somebody evidently is trying to have a conversation right now. <laughs> they think you're out of church already. They think it's full of poison, so keep quiet. Now listen. The descriptions in James 3, is it okay if I just teach you a little bit today? The descriptions in this passage about the tongue and our words are talking about an unsubmitted, unredeemed tongue. They are talking about an, a tongue that's not submitted to God and it's a person that's not redeemed. It's a person that's not been born again. It's a person that maybe is born again, but, but they have not submitted their lips, their minds, their hearts to Christ. 
That's the tongue that's full of evil. That's the tongue that, that can't be tamed. Let me just say it to you this way, because many times we read things the wrong way. The scripture here says, no man can tame the tongue, but God can. But God can tame the tongue. Here's what we need to come away with. We can't come away with, well, no one can tame the tongue. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to just, you know, I'll, I'll keep getting with the boys at work. I'll elbow them and tell the coarse, coarse joke. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm still going to use my lips to gossip about this one or that one or slander them. Or, you know, I'm going to argue and I'm going to do this and that. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we have no excuse to use our tongues in that manner. The scripture doesn't give us that excuse. Why? Because God can tame the tongue. God's redemptive and sanctifying work in his sons and daughters includes our words. Let me put it to you plainly. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And so don't misread James. As if we have this one area that we can kind of negotiate with God on. Well, let me give you some taming the tongue truths that we can get from James chapter 3. First of all, your words chart the course of your life. Your words chart the course of your life. Notice I didn't say your words set the course. God sets the course. Your words build the map. They chart the course of your life. It's verse 2 says, we stumble in many things. If anyone doesn't stumble in the word, he is a perfect man. Also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that, we may, that they may obey us. We turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they're large and driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. He is saying here, listen, you can... Uh, Order and chart your life with your words. Your words, along with God's will, build the map for where he's taking you. It's the vision that he releases that you follow. It's your words. They chart the course as we see here. Now listen, there are a couple of things that oppose you using your words for God. To set your course for God's will for your life. There's a couple things uh, that oppose it. First is, is the flesh. The first is the flesh. This is the internal battlefield. It is, it is the, our natural and carnal thinking. It's our desires. It's just the things that the flesh wants to do. Romans 8, 5 says it this way, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. He's saying, listen, the flesh will only want what the flesh wants, but your words are how you direct your flesh. Notice what it says. If he doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man, 
able also to bridle the whole body. It says your flesh will follow your words. Anybody ever utter this in January along with a few other people? All right, I'm doing the corporate fast. Some of y'all are like, nope, I never say that at all. I just watch other people shrink during January. <laughs> and, and, and here's what you do. You, maybe you feel the prompting of the Lord. He says, yeah, I want you to fast along with everybody else in January. And we also do one generally in, in August as well. And we'll come, to, come together and we'll fast and we'll pray. Well, let me just tell you, I'm just going to let you know. Your flesh every single day is going to say no. No. No, do not do that. Again? Are you serious? You did this yesterday. I'm hungry. That's it. I'm giving you a headache. I am giving you hunger pains. You need to listen to me. And I'll be honest with you. Though that language and that conversation is very loud. But you know how you can bridle the body with your words? I got to tell you something that's been helping me for years, kind of growing in the discipline of fasting. I'm not, I'm not totally there yet. I don't know if we ever get there in this area. But, but when I feel those hunger pains come, and when I feel that, that just that trying time comes, here's what I do. I open up my mouth and I say, God, I'm hungrier for you than I am for food. And my body's got to listen. I say, God, I'm hungrier for your presence than I am for food. I'm hungrier for miracles than I am for food. I'm hungrier for an awakening, God, in our region than I am for food. God, I want you more than anything else. I open my mouth. And you know what happens? My body starts to come along. The flesh comes along. This is, this is what this is saying. You've got to use your words to get your body to come along. Now, we don't use words that are not in our hearts. You say, does it ever get easier? Because I'm the person that I'm, I'm struggling with the addiction. I'm struggling, struggling with patterns of behavior. You know, uh, my, my parents were screamers and, and now I'm a screamer at my kids and it's just the way we were brought up. And, you know, uh, man, my, my, my grandfather was an alcoholic and my father was an alcoholic and now I'm dealing with this, this same thing. Am I doomed to do those same things? You know, just because I, our flesh is just the same? No, no, you're not. Here's why. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... Give your flesh to God. A living sacrifice. You know what you do with a sacrifice? Kill it. I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, spiritually, spiritually. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service or act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. He's saying this, he's saying, listen, you actually have to go through the process of transforming the way that your brain works. When you have continued a behavior, when you've continued to speak things and do things, your whole life you have built a super highway for sin a super highway for flesh a super highway for addiction 
a super highway for screaming, yelling, being contrary to God. You've, 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 you've built that super highway in your head. But the good news is, is that you can actually rewire your brain. Anybody ever been on I-75 before? Anybody ever been on it when it's not under construction? I see no hands. <laughs> I have never been on I-75 when some part of it is not under construction. I don't know what's wrong with them in Georgia. I think they need to keep it under construction. I don't know what's going on. As soon as you hit Georgia, complete devastation to the highway. And here's what you need to understand. Your brain as a believer looks a lot like that. As you are saying, God, I want you to change the way I speak. I, I've had these old highways. I need you to destroy them. I need you to take them down. And then what do you got to do? You got to go through the painful, slow process of obeying God's detour until it becomes a six-lane highway in your life. You renew your mind. You think that way. You do what the scripture says. It says, think on these things. You've thought on other things and other words have come out. Now it's time to think of what God's thinking about to do what God is saying to do to build a new super highway that Christ can use. See, that's an, that's an internal battlefield. But the good news is that God has pre-wired your brain to be changed and conformed. If we'll only do it according to his will. And then what? Then by your good conduct, you'll prove what is the acceptable will of God. Your words will begin to match God's heart. You say, well, how do I get the attitude for this? How do I, how do I start that construction? Proverbs 4 is, is a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful instruction. It says, my son... Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart, I mean, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Look at this. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips Far from you. Why is this included? He says, listen to my words. Incline your ear to my words. Let them get in your heart. It's going to be health to you. It's going to be life to you. Why does he connect and say, the warning is against a perverse mouth and perverse lips. Here's why. Because a perverse mouth and perverse lips will lead you away from God's will in your life. It's the internal battlefield that we're going through. Or our flesh wants what our flesh wants. Our spirit, when it gets born again, it wants to please God. Our mind has to get renewed so it will make the flesh obey. And you can win that war. You can overcome. There's another um, pushback against the tongue. And James describes it here as fierce 
wins. This is the external battlefield. This is our culture. This is our environment. These are the things that are pushing on us from the outside, trying to either keep us quiet or trying to get us to respond in a certain way so that we will use words that won't glorify God, that won't bring glory to his name, that that won't produce the kingdom, what won't produce life. And culture right now is simply saying to the Christian church, by the way, is saying this, be quiet. Culture is saying, if you follow Jesus, you are a bigot. If you preach the gospel, you're closed-minded. If you, if you haven't experienced any of this, you just have to step outside a little bit. Start opening your mouth, you'll find out. Immediately, the culture will start to name call. And will start to put pressure on you. Be silent. Don't say those things. Those things are hate. You mean change? That's hatred. It's not hatred. It's not hatred at all. But there are these fierce winds. But the, the, the thing that James says, it says, even though the, the ship is blown by fierce winds, that little rudder takes it wherever the pilot desires. The little rudder. What's the little rudder? Your words. Your words that you use in the midst of a culture that's pushing against you can still get you to where God wants you. The culture may be saying, no, don't open your mouth for Christ. No, 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 don't say anything about him. No, 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 don't proselytize. Don't try to convert anybody. Don't share the gospel with anybody. That's what the culture would say. But you know what? Our tongue can guide us right where God wants us. If We'll just agree against the fierce winds that are pressing against us. There was a time in the early church when the early church was just being uh, birthed that Peter and the other disciples have experienced Pentecost. God's spirits come upon them. Jesus has ascended to heaven and they're just simply going to pray. The third hour of the day, they're walking past a gate called Beautiful and there is a man begging there. And Peter says to the man, he says, he says, look on us. And the beggar looks up as if to receive something. He's lame in his legs. He cannot walk. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. He takes him by the hand, lifts him, and immediately strength comes to his feet and bones. And he begins to leap and he begins to dance. Here's what happened. His words became works. And this man who had been lame into his 40s is now healed. But everybody started following Jesus. Thousands were coming in to the early church. And those who were in religious authority did not like it. The culture of Jerusalem was anti-Christ. And this is what they said. In Acts for it says, what shall we do to these men? These are the contrary winds. For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, we need to have that kind of encounter with God. We need to have that kind of relationship with the Lord that no matter what culture is saying to us, no matter how culture is trying to silence us, we're like, I have to share what Jesus did in my life. I have to share how grace forgave me of every sin and how his power is still available to heal, still available to change. God is very much alive. He's risen from the dead. And you could say, how much more? You could certainly say, listen, I, I honor you, I respect you as a person who is built and created in the image of God, but I've got to share something with you. No matter what. And I feel like so many people in the church, we're just kind of throwing up our hands. We're just saying, well, there's nothing we can do. We'll just go hide and store food until Jesus comes. That's not what God's calling us to do. If you got some extra food, I'll eat it. But uh, <laughs> that's not what God's calling us to do. Jesus has called us to influence the culture with his words on our mouth and his spirit in our heart. And we have to, with all boldness, when everything is pressing down on us, we, had, we, have, we have to be able to say, we cannot help but speak those things which we have experienced, those things which God has spoken to us, those things we speak. So your words chart the course for your life no matter what. Second, your words are meant to bless. Your words are meant to bless. James 4.9 says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing, blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. The word bless, it, 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 here's, here's what you need to understand. It carries a spiritual authority. It, it, it carries with it a, a, a power. Matter of fact, when... When you use it properly, it sets in motion things that can show up for generations. That's why Abraham blessed Isaac. And Isaac would bless Jacob. And those who understood the power of blessing would use it to absolutely shape the course of history. And when you begin to use your mouth to bless it can change an atmosphere. You say, I don't know what my home is like. Start to bless it. You don't know what my job is like. Start to speak blessing. Start to release the power of your words over that situation. Start to release it over your boss. Start to release it over your family. Start to release the blessing of God and use your words. Instead of cursing, blessing. And watch God make them blessable. That's not your job. Uh, so far, I've never seen somebody turn over the reins of, of, of their life to anybody else. 
and say, okay, fix me and have it work. Matter of fact, those people who do that for a living, they're, they're called counselors. And counselors never want it to end. So they have to stay broken. Stay coming back. You gotta stay coming back. Stay coming back. Why? Because they need to be paid. But, but here's, what, here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to bless God wants you to shift situations. God wants to use to, you to use your tongue to change an atmosphere, to use your spiritual authority to change the place that you're walking into. You say, well, what are we, who are we supposed to bless? How, how does that work? Well, first, first, this is first. We're supposed to bless God. I know that's a bizarre idea, thinking about blessing God, because God doesn't need our blessing. He's certainly blessed all on his own. But the scriptures over and over again, I could put it, I mean countless times, but I'll just show you a few today. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 1, it says, it says this, Behold, that means look, bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my, my mouth. Look at this. I will bless the Lord at all times. If you're blessing the Lord at all times, man, that really cuts down on the amount of time that you spend grumbling. Why? Because you're, bl- you're busy blessing God. You're busy being thankful for the things that he's given to you in your life. You've shifted your words. You're saying, God, I'm using my words to produce an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for my family. I thank you for the car that breaks down a couple times a year, but it gets me there, God. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that I'm not forgotten, that when I pray, you hear me. God, I thank you. I will Bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not a lot of room for gossip when you're praising. Not a lot of room for complaining when you're praising. I'm telling you, God wants to shift our words because words matter. Words matter. And we're supposed to be blessing God. Does that mean that we ever, that we can't talk about problems? No, no, no. We can talk about problems. We can identify problems, but we take it to people who have the power to fix it. We don't take it to Facebook. Oh, God help us. Oh. We don't go to social media looking for healing or therapy. Come on. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit talk. Psalm 134 says this. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. We're, we have a command to use our lips to bless the Lord. Can I just, can I just give you some instruction? Um. Prayer services are not meant to be silent services. Some prayers are silent, but usually prayer services or prayer meetings are not. 
let me say it, let me say it another way. Worship, when everybody is saying, hey, lift your voice. In order to bless the Lord, you gotta open your mouth. You say, I'm not a singer. We don't care. We'll turn the music up. (laughs) We'll turn it up louder. Come on, bless the Lord with your lips. Lift up a praise and a shout to God. You've got reason to praise God. Come on. You know, we leave that service that we just sat through and we nodded through the, you know, we were, we were nodding in the, in the sermon. And then we leave and we say, man, I didn't get anything out of that service. No, nothing but rest. Didn't bless God. Didn't open your ears or incline your ears to what God was saying. Of course not. Why? You're going to leave with those words on your lips. I didn't get anything. Do you see it? And the, 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 the rudder of your life is taking your ship into that shelter. Sometimes when you come, you say, man, I don't know what God did in my life. But he did something. Man, I heard some things. I got to go back to God's word and read that I heard from the, from, that I heard from. I, I got to go back and study that. I got to go back and look at that. Or you might say, man, I, you know, I'm not there yet. So I need to grow in this. What's, what's happening there? You're starting to use your words to make space for growth in your life. And you're going to start to mature. And then you're going to become that person who begins to use their words for God's glory and God's kingdom. Till your words start to look like this. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And then those words carry weight. You lay your hands on a deaf girl like I did in Africa. i never forget this moment outside of a truck. Feeding eight, nine hundred people. The Lord said, you stick your fingers in her ears. Her friend told me she's been deaf since she was a baby. She got sick. And the, the, the virus attacked her ears. And she had not been able to hear. She was 18 years old. And the Lord said, stick your fingers in Now, now that's kind of weird. No, not kind of. That's really weird. <laughs> and so here I am. I just said, okay, God. I put my fingers in this deaf girl's ears and her friend is looking at me and I just said, be opened in Jesus' name. I pulled my, pulled my fingers out of her ears and they popped open and her eyes got bright and wide. And I'm like, and her friend's looking at her and she's looking at her friend. And I just thought, the only thing I knew how to say at that moment, it's like the spirit prompted me. I said, say amen. And she goes, the first word she's uttered She goes, amen. And she hears her own voice. And I got so excited. I turned around to tell everybody, I was like, hey, you won't believe what God did. I turned back around and that girl is running across the field to her village. Now listen. I think she was going home to hear mama's voice. 
can I just say? Words matter. And God wants to place a real authority on your words as we submit our tongues to him, as we fill our hearts with what he's saying to us, then we can walk as he has called us to walk in John chapter 14 when he said, greater works will you do. The works that I do, those who believe in me will do also and greater works. Jesus opened blind eyes, opened deaf ears, and he did it with the word. And God wants our words to carry weight. And so the second thing that we need to know is that we're called to bless people. We're called to bless people. Acts 5, 19 and 20 says this. There was another time where Peter's back in jail. Again, for preaching. An angel comes and rescues him this time. And this is what the angel said. Go stand in the temple and speak to the people, all the words of this life. He says, I know culture. I know culture is, is going a different way. This is what the angel said. Go and preach the words of this life. Go and preach the words of this life. Go and tell how Jesus was the Messiah who came, suffered, and died, was buried, and now raised from the dead. Go and tell of God's grace. Go and tell of God's mercy. And I don't know if you need an angel today to come to you and tell you the same thing, but here I am. I'm not calling myself an angel. The word angel means messenger. Thank you very much. And so I am the, the God's messenger to you today, breaking you out of the prison of silence and the prison of your words, carrying you somewhere that God never intended you to go and saying this, go and stand in the place that God has planted you and declare to everyone the words of this life. The life that is in Christ. I want you to bow your heads today.